time of heightened political tension with Republicans, that fact that their policy crossing the line does a lot less to restrain their dislike for the other party. These are the sounds that make up our everyday soundscapes. In the news cycle, they're consistently readily available to us, and in our personal lives. And of course at the intersection of these two spheres, which is a border that is becoming increasingly blurred. So we have a constant stream of information in our own pockets. My name is Claire, and I'm a 23-year-old student from Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver five years ago to study dialogue and communication, and in this time I've tried to make sense of a political spectrum, social life, education, and even city that struggles with intense polarization. For the first time, as a student, I'm not even able to bump into other students in lecture halls or hallways to unpack thoughts on these issues, and I felt this is only farthering polarization of our viewpoints. At home, we are all able to mute, delete, walk away from those who disagree with us. It's become so easy to call out or even cancel those who have viewpoints that we consider to be opponents, rather than calling them in to a dialogue space or conversation. This has really made me wonder what effects this has on youth who are studying and living at this time in Vancouver. I decided to explore this concept by calling up friends, strangers, classmates, and colleagues who all share an interest in working personally or professionally with dialogue. First, I talked to Fergus, a student at SFU that studies political science and dialogue. Fergus also works as a research assistant for the Morris J. Wall Center for Dialogue. I was hoping that Fergus would give me some insight, maybe a jumping off point, about the climate of polarization and what it means to understand each other when we're living with such different realities. I've known Fergus for a while, so we caught up a little bit and I told him about my project, and then we got into it. And we started tackling the project where we had to, at the very beginning. What do you make of the current climate of polarization and how it either affects your life personally or how it affects your relations within Vancouver? I volunteered a couple years ago with Public Square at SFU, and they do a community summit every year on some sort of pressing global issue, and the one that they, they were doing that time was misinformation and post-truth, and that was super interesting, and, and, and like... A lot of the premise of that is that if you look at my Facebook feed and then you look at the Facebook feed of somebody within a different political context, you know, with different ideological beliefs, like their Facebook feed will look completely different. And then Fergus and I dove into this conversation about how these completely different looking ideological Facebook feeds are not only causing people to not agree with each other, but to not see reality in the same way. And I think that the goal shouldn't be necessarily to agree on things. Because that's not really how, that's not how our democracy is set up to work. Like, it, it, the point is not to reach agreement and for everybody to be satisfied. The point is to sort of enter into debate and, you know, increasingly it seems like maybe dialogue is a better alternative in, in a lot of situations. But to, to come to a place where even if somebody didn't get what they want, at least everybody in the room is speaking the same language and is premising what they're saying on the same foundation. But what does the phrase speaking the same language really even mean? I'll give an example. There are things in East Van that I might disagree with, you know, when I go on my Facebook page or whatever, or I talk to my friends even, like within the circles that I'm in, 
in Vancouver that are generally, you know, progressive, multicultural, super urban, and informed by that deeply, and generally educated or exposed to, like, if not currently in or having gone to university, then at least operating in circles where that's the norm. So even if we disagree, it's usually with the understanding that the basic premises of our argument are, are like, agreed upon, and that we have a common understanding of reality. Okay, so what does it mean to have a dialogue with someone who really isn't speaking the same language, and how do we even get there? Just because this person has Fox News on the TV in the background all the time and thinks things that are fundamentally different about politics and the economy and, and the way that those things should be organized and supports Trump, it doesn't mean that like they're not like you and me in other ways, you know, and that seems like a sort of blatantly obvious statement to make, but I feel like it doesn't really come across, I think, to dealing with polarization and to getting through that, not like for us to understand, or in order to get through polarization, you have to be able to see like the humanity and those other people, and you have to be able to find ways where you can connect, not necessarily where you have to concede your opinion or your values, but where you can at least see that this person is forming his opinion or her opinion based on values and based on previous experiences and based on, you know, the information that they've taken in that is, even if you don't think it's as legitimate or if it's correct, they still have a basic humanity and they're still approaching it in, in a similar way from a different angle that you are. So I guess that shared language then really becomes about humanity, but how did we get to such different languages in the first place? Now, for whatever reason, in my explore page on Instagram, get like photos or videos from I think it's the Daily Wire or like some kind of conservative news outlet or meme page or something and I have no idea why it's happening but it, it's happening and every once in a while I'll see a photo of a tweet and it'll take it'll, it'll look at something that happened today in the news and it'll just have such a fundamentally different takeaway from that thing for example Ted Cruz going to Mexico or like the blackouts in Texas you have you have half the social media pages talking about how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like a saint for going down there and raising all this money, and Ted Cruz is the devil. And, and then you have another, uh, the other half, I presume, I mean, I'm only getting a little bit of it, but like, I, I'll see these pages that are mainstream conservative pages, basically going a whole day on the day when like, what seems to me to be the whole world is freaking out about what Ted Cruz is doing because he went to Mexico, and you'll look on the front page of Fox News or something like that. And if it's mentioned, it's like a tiny little aside. And that's not polarization based on disagreement. That's like polarization based on different reality. It makes me wonder what is being relegated to like a side corner of the websites that I'm on, you know, and what's not even making the, the, the news day. It really feels hard to know what's real sometimes. There is nobody legitimacy or like nobody whose truth like stands above as being like true to the point where it's like that's a trustworthy source you know like it feels like I have to make the choice that like okay this is the trustworthy source but that that choice is itself political like that that choice is like I'm aligning myself with like the left or the right or the center and like that's really just my team that's what my team says and choosing teams seems really to be about winning and I'm not sure what is meant to be won, but this year commitment to a team really is ignoring 
the lived experience and reality of members on the other supposed team. How can you really understand another's reality when you haven't lived that experience and your truth is just so fundamentally different? And on top of that, continuing to value sources that you deem trustworthy and established organizations that put out facts, news, and information. And I feel like that's kind of a scary way to go through life. And, and I don't know. I, and like, I, I, maybe I'm just describing becoming an adult, but like, it's, it's kind of like a dangerous situation to be in when like, no matter what I say, there, there is a solid portion of society that will say back to me, well, like, essentially you're just saying that because that's the team you're on. Still, it still feels like there's, and maybe even more, pardon me, even be, maybe, maybe it's because I tried to do that, that it doesn't feel to me like there's like a stable central one, you know? Because in even acknowledging the, the view put forth by like a Fox News, you're acknowledging that like, that, that, that people think that. And so you can't just ignore it and believe what your beliefs are. But I don't know. I, 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 it, I, I, find it, I find it scary that it doesn't, that it feels like there's almost nothing on which people can come together and say, we all agree on these, on these foundational fundamental facts. Now we can argue based on that. I, have, I had a conversation with somebody older like in my parents' generation kind of thing, which I guess is the boomer generation. Or like, and it's probably early 60s. But we were talking about riots and, you know, pro- why, why protests. Like the, the, the whole situation about this general idea that like people condemning like the Capitol riot, but then the, the, you know, rebuttal from a lot of conservative areas being, well, like, oh, where were you during the Black Lives Matter riot, right? And, and, the, and this person was talking about Basically that, that like it's totally unacceptable, all all of these riots and all of these protests and stuff post-George Floyd. And like, I was trying to explain to this guy that like, I I understand that it's not nice to see, that that I understand that, because he he was saying that of course racism is bad, but it's no excuse, like you have to just have the conversation peacefully, you know, you have to like basically tone policing the way that he felt African-Americans were making their case, you know, their the anti-racism case through, throughout 2020. And I, I was trying to explain to him that the, the images that start, like the images that sparked this particular, which was in itself, you know, at the end of a long, long series of like images and of, and of, of occurrences of this kind of thing, were like just eight minutes and 46 seconds straight on video of a cop choking out a man like like executing somebody in a way that like just would not happen or happen disproportionately to you know one one minority and his response was not like he didn't answer like no it doesn't happen disproportionately or he didn't even answer on the same basis as what i said he said that well actually i've heard that like the real video has come out and it's longer than that and it started before the video that everybody, the mainstream media is circulating, and like actually George Floyd you know, was attacking the police officers, and like actually, if you see the real video that's circulating on like One American News Network, or whatever right-wing news network he was seeing, I actually think it was just on his like 
you know, social media even. So that's part of the problem. But like, if you watch the real video, like I've heard that actually, you know, the the whole choking out thing makes more sense. I haven't seen it though. Because it was kind of his what he was saying. And like that's really tough to engage with because it's like what I, it's like exactly what I've been talking about. Because it's like you're not meeting me from the point of view of like, okay, you know, the the, the attempt isn't to try to reconcile or even meet the point that like, okay, like you know, African-Americans have been subject to this. And so, you know, this is, this is, this is part of the, of like the, the reaction that it has to be seen through that, that filter. It's instead to say that like, I'm not going to even engage with that history. I'm not even going to engage with what you're saying, but actually you haven't seen the truth because like the reality is in this like hidden video. You know what I mean? Or it's like the conspiracy theory. And this is a very normal, pretty like owns a car dealership or something like normal guy. And like, He's basically saying that, like, that's a conspiracy. Like, the, the truth that most people see is a conspiracy, and, on, like, and, you know, only my special, like, conservative outlet knows the truth. Even, even to ignore, basically, the thing that we could both look at and have an argument about, which is video of this thing happening, you know? Like, instead of saying, okay, here's eight minutes and 46 seconds of this video, let's both look at it, and then we have different opinions about it. It's like, no, sorry, this isn't real. You know, what we're both looking at isn't real. And then to change that reality. And that, it's tough to me in the middle about that. Because, like, to, to my, my usual strategy, I feel like, when talking to people or when trying to, try to talk to people with whom I disagree or mediate two sides is to find ways where they're both right. And, you know, I don't know if that's a good strategy or not, but it's just what I've always done. It's like to try to find out, like, okay, like, how, how, how can we make this into, like, a more calm discussion? Like doesn't have to be you against you. It can be like, okay, where do you agree, and then move from there, so that both people feel validated, even if you know I agree with more with one side than the other. But to to validate any of what he's saying is to validate like a reality that is not real. You know, is is, is to validate something that did not happen, and that like is is really really scary because like to validate that is is to devalue reality. And so, like, in that conversation, you know, like, we, we, he's a really nice guy, which makes it even scarier. But, like, so, like, we, we found common ground, sort of, or, like, I found a way to communicate with him through the idea of, like, okay, but, like, take all that aside. Even though, like, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that you saw a video that was real, you know, and I, I, I believe that this isn't true, what you said, and, like, that this is, like, you know, dangerous, but police officers should never be killing people it's not their job like that there is no situation where a man should in self-defense have to put his knee on another man's neck for almost 10 minutes until he dies right in that in that particular story like he, he was he could agree on that he could say that like okay you're right the policeman you know the, the police shouldn't be executioners the police, you know, like, like there, there, there are still apparently basic facts on which you can agree, which is nice, but, but, but it's, it's hard when, because like the, the, the response is never like based on a shared set of facts. As people who are young and this is kind of the reality that we're all steeped in, like, I don't know if older generations are having the same experience with this. But it definitely feels, I just, I'm just not 100% sure because maybe it's just because I don't really engage with people from the older generation that much, but it, 
like yes they're being siloed their information is being completely siloed and you're seeing it in the way that the media is forming like formulating their opinions but I think that it's different in terms of being young and trying to be educated and these being like formative years that it's hard to come into a reality that makes sense for you while you're trying to make sense of reality in general when there are many different realities if that makes sense like I don't know yeah because yeah. it's like you're, you're not coming into a common space yeah you're coming in you're coming like if you as you say like to, to choose a side is to basically commit to not critic thinking critically ever again so then your other option is to come into a space where there is no consensus like where there is no like there there is when you, you're coming of age into a space where there is no solid ground and like that's just kind of by definition like a, a destabilizing thing to feel right and, and, and yeah yeah that's a good question about like whether that's that's something that, that people that of older generations feel as acutely because when they came into that space, that maybe there was more solid ground to stand on. What Fergus said about the lack of stable ground, information of understanding for the younger generation, really resonated with me. It's a sensation I have often, especially when feeling pressured to come into spaces of discussion with fully formed opinions and be prepared to defend it, rather than actively listening and focusing on approaching the conversation with empathy. I want to know Fergus's thoughts on how to move past this. How could we use dialogue to move forward? And what really is the role of dialogue when considering polarization? I, I think that it's like the role of dialogue in addressing this kind of polarization is, is, is closely tied to exposure because it, it is obvious, I think, like once you stand it out. If you live in a neighborhood where all of your neighbors have, you know, if, if I vote NDP and all of my neighbors have NDP signs and like that, that's just like, that is the status quo, that's the reality we, we, we live in you know and so the people i'm talking to have the same opinion as me the social media algorithms will only show me people who think the same way the outlet that i read if i read any or that i watch you know for news is economically incentivized to show me stuff that i already agree with then dialogue is then a place where it's not even that you can have your opinions challenged necessarily but like you're seeing for the first time that there are other opinions it's not even about opinions like different opinions is a great thing it's about like different fundamental assumptions about how the world works and what is possible the basis of this entire conversation has really been about the difficulties of trying to have a dialogue with people who have different realities and why that is making our political climate so polarizing and how difficult it is for young people to interact in this climate but there must be some solutions some ways of having conversations with each other built around empathy i i think that it's so easy to to live probably your entire life without even knowing that maybe the people who in the news you read are demonized and or, or, or like or who are so obviously wrong through the lens that you're looking at life, you know, through the lens that you're using to look at life. Like it's so easy to live your life without knowing that there might be other ways to tell that same story, you know. And and, and 
I think that there's a role for dialogue in 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 that space in figuring out how to just generate exposure because like to bring it back to what I was saying at the very beginning like I know that I've gone off about polarization and how it's scary and all this stuff and like how it feels like there's no real truth but at the same time I, I really just think that if you take 99 or maybe 95 percent of people and you were just to like expose them expose that person to somebody else's to, to like a, a different worldview or a different way of like like a different fundamental set of principles or, or, or a different lens to look at the world through then like they're they're not gonna r resist it or, or like I, I don't think that they would just reject it or at least that they could see that it's a lot easier to be told that the other side is evil than to like come up with a rational argument for why they're evil right and so the minute that you can see that like they're making the same kinds of rational arguments just against just against me <laughs> then like i think that it, like there has to be some kind of middle ground in there and then there that, that like that's where empathy is built and so i think that, i think there's a role for dialogue in that this conversation with frigus has made me consider the way that dialogue can be used as a bridge between different realities and as a means to build empathy. In the next episode, I talk to Emma about different lived realities between rural and urban spaces. We discuss the role of privilege, access, and education in dialogue. As I continue my journey in learning the role of dialogue in aiding polarization. <laughs>